Lord, we come before you again with your word before us. We're grateful for the fact that, your, as your son told us, that, that uh, we have not been taken out of this world, but we are called to be sanctified in this world. And he asks that you would sanctify us by your truth. And that your word is truth. Lord, we recognize, Father, that that this does not happen without your work. This is not a cold book of words that you left for us to to study and to be familiar with and and to master so that we would... uh, know how to interact with you one day when you return but this is this is a book that you've given to us to interact with our hearts with as we interact with you and your truth as you sanctify us by your truth so lord i pray that you would do that this morning i pray lord god that you would work through your word with the power of your holy spirit that you would fill me with your spirit to speak your words and your truth. Lord, this time in so many ways defines us as a body. How we choose to respond to your truth and how you have revealed yourself in it. Lord, define us as people that know you, that submit ourselves to you, and that seek to walk with you in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some of you, um, hopefully not too many of you, the the fact that we're here an hour earlier is offset a little bit by the fact that we are spending our last Sunday in the Book of Romans. Now, for me, it's sad. Um, I have loved the Book of Romans ever since the Lord got me serious about walking with him and the joy of preaching through it uh, has been something that that I have uh, lingered with. And some of you are thinking, yes, you have. (laughs) But the book of Romans leaves us with the intention of empowering us for gospel mission. It leaves us with so many of the same ideas and the terms that it opens with. Speaking about the gospel being for all nations, speaking about the gospel being uh, by God's command, speaking about the importance of knowing and sharing the gospel. You know, I did a little bit of uh, looking this morning about the origin of daylight savings time and things like that. It's murky. There's all sorts of different theories. One of the strongest theories is that it was initiated by Germany. For, for productivity, put that in quotes. But can we think about the fact that, that Germany was just about to try to dominate the world and, and exert its will over the entire world? It was, it was initiated by Germany right before World War I. And, and maybe we should think about daylight savings time as the fact that Germany is still emptying out on the world. Uh, from this. Maybe it was his first volley 
of trying to attack the world, if you will. Uh, but like I said, there, there's all sorts of different theories and, and, and uh, uh, for the reasons for daylight savings time and such. And I know Indiana was one of the last holdouts. Uh, you can ask Jeff. Jeff, for a number of years, lived in just on the northern border of Indiana and worked in Niles, Michigan. So for half the year, uh, you know, he would his work time was different than his home time and stuff like that. I was talking with Daryl about that, who who lives up um, on the time zone and it, how it was strange for him. But. One thing we have to keep in mind as well as I was thinking about daylight savings time this morning. Uh, how many of us complain about the encumbrance that it is on, on, on us getting together with God's people as a corporate body in this special way? And how many during this 24-hour period on this globe will be joining together despite it being endangering their lives? So kudos to you for getting up an hour early this morning to worship the Lord together. But I thought that we would kind of just breeze back over. I seriously, I'm only going to take four minutes here, maybe. The book of Romans. And it opens up clarifying for us the reason for the gospel. Because there, there needs to be no murkiness. It needs to not be like this. the different theories of daylight savings time. There is an original reason for the gospel. And it is the fact that we stand under God's condemnation because of the sin that we allow to come into the world and ruin his world and ruin our souls. And so we looked at Romans 1, 18 through the middle of chapter 3 of the case for man's condemnation. That the wrath of God is actually on the unsaved person. That's what it means to be saved. To be saved from God's wrath against sin that indwells us. In its ungodliness, its unrighteousness. And the suppression of his truth. Even though his righteousness is plain to mankind. And this led us to see that, that there, there was... Thankfully, a righteousness that had been revealed that was apart from the law, a righteousness that was from God through Christ for all who believe. And we saw in the second half of chapter 3 through chapter 5, God's amazing justice. But it is only amazing. We only understand it as merciful judgment from the righteous judge in light of the fact that we deserve his condemnation. And in light of the fact that his condemnation fell on Christ, that it was God's condemnation of sin that broke his body and poured out his blood. And that was what, it was God's condemnation of sin that we harbor. They caused the gospel to be so amazing. It's not just amazing grace, it's amazing justice that was carried out on Christ instead of us. And this, this led us into chapter 6 through 8, where we found ourselves encouraged to live large 
that eternal life is not meant to be lived once we pass from this physical body into our, our glorified body and, and be in God's presence for eternity. But eternal life is something that's meant to begin now and spread into eternity. It is a life that begins with God. A doorway that opens from that bright future and streams into our present. And we get to walk in the light of that eternal life from this point forward. And and our minds were open in chapter 6 to the fact that there are practices of everyday eternal life that we are called to walk in. That we are called to realize that we do not have to live under sin's domination. But that we are able to live as those that realize the the jail cell door has been unlocked and only need to be leaned against to be pushed open and to walk in a freedom from sin. So the question was asked, shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? In other words, as people say about us, may it never be how could we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not realize that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death in order that just as we were raised from the dead through baptism, That as Christ was raised from the dead, we might walk in newness of life. And that led us into understanding what do we do with God's do's and don'ts in chapter 7. I think I just wanted to throw Charlton Heston up there one more time. That in so many of God's commands, that that as we desire to walk with him, but yet we see that even something as, as, as simple as covetousness that we can never remove from our hearts draws us to the fact that we lift up as Paul did, saying, thank God that Christ has died for me. Because even in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, even in having my condemnation removed, I am I'm brought to be grateful on a daily basis that it's Christ's righteousness, not my own, that I stand in. And that that led us into that great chapter 8 of realizing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are geared for growth in grace, that there is a present ministry of the eternal God to believers in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that we are empowered to walk with him. And that empowerment begins in the fact that we are in Christ, that we stand without condemnation. Even though the case was made for our condemnation because of Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have received him as our Savior. And this led us to to learn about the privilege of being the people of God, about that there is no longer that you have to be a Jew or that you can't be a Jew. You must be a Gentile. That he has made one new privileged people, and we saw this in chapter Sorry, chapters 9 through 11. Of realizing just what it means, how special it is that we are a people of God now. In this special time, being his church. And that we should have transformed relationships 
from that in chapters 12 through 15. It should bleed into our relationships with one another. It should bleed into our relationships with those who don't know Christ. It should transform our relationships with the state, with government, of, of what should be our relationship to them. It should transform our relationship with those brothers and sisters that have come out of, maybe as, as the Romans were dealing with, they, they had come out of legalistic, legalistic Judaism and how to walk through those convictions that they had. And remember, it, it directed every person who's walking in relationship with Christ as far as our personal convictions to realize something. Each person should be fully convinced in their own mind. Always pushing us back to our relationship with God. To understand how do we relate to one another. How do we walk in grace with one another. George Bernard Shaw said, Progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. And God's word is intended to change our lives, and he uses the truth of the letter to the Romans to change our minds so that he might change our lives, and our lives are made up of relationships. It is an outgrowth of our gospel relationship with God. And the goal of the gospel is changed lives. This morning, we are uh, sent out from the letter to the Romans, intended to be empowered for gospel mission, just as God used the Apostle Paul in his words to empower the churches, the house churches of the Roman believers with the gospel, for gospel mission. You know, it's one thing to be given a task to do. It's a completely other thing to be empowered to do it. I'm still amazed, and I might have shared this with you at one point in time. I'm going on seven years here. There's going to be some repeat of things I'm amazed by here. But before the, the Gulf War, I think it was Gulf War number two. Okay, so Desert Storm. <coughs> when... The forces of the coalition were in Kuwait waiting to move into Iraq. When the word was, was given to move into Iraq, they didn't move in first with foot soldiers. They didn't move in first with tanks. First, they laid down an air war that was let, could be understood by nothing less but shock and awe. And this particular regiment that was to to move over this mountain range. It's not really a mountain range, a range of hills. Before it could move into Iraq, it had a few little outposts, defensive outposts that they had to deal with. Not really much of anything. But in order to empower these regiments, in order to make a statement, before a single foot soldier moves forward, the artillery hits this range of hills so much that a topographical map, you know, the kind of map that, that show the, the topography, that show the, the uh, altitude of the land. The topographical maps of that area were going to have to be changed because they lowered the level of the earth of those hills 
down so much with the bombardment of artillery just to empower and enable those foot soldiers to get through there. That is empowerment. You see, empowerment is both strength. It's, it's being given the physical ability. It's being given the firepower in order to do what we've been called to do. But it is also the authority to carry out the orders. The Greek term for power can count for both. And, and, and when, when studying a passage, when that term comes up a lot of times, uh, you have to understand, okay, they are talking about the authority here, the power that comes with the authority to do so, or are they talking about the empowerment of, of physical force to do this? And in our passage today, we see that God has empowered us, empowered us in every way necessary to be on gospel mission. He's given us the authority of his command to spread the gospel, to share the gospel. And he's given us the firepower of the promise of God's presence and the work of his Holy Spirit. You see how all of these chapters have led up to these statements. In fact, as I said, the Apostle Paul is restating what he said at the beginning of the, the letter to the Romans. Now we see in our passage here, and this is what we close Romans with, verses 25 through 27 of chapter 16. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Understand something this morning. God deserves glory from the gospel. And he is ready to empower us to share it with others. He deserves glory from the gospel. And he is ready to empower us to share it with others. Just, just to hit on the, the, the opening and closing of these verses here. Because the question you have to ask here is when he says, now to him, to him what? What, what, gums, what goes to God? What is, what is to be given to God? And, and that is that statement that, that is begun in verse 25 is, is finished in verse 27. Glory. To him be glory. As he says, to the only wise God be glory. I thought about this this past uh, week. The first sermon I ever preached here as your pastor. Not when I was just coming to help you get to know me and stuff. But the first sermon I ever preached here as your pastor was on verses that have changed my life. Some of the most important verses for me and, and what they meant to me over my years of, of following the Lord. And the first of those that I shared with you is from Isaiah 42, 8. Where I was amazed as a young person to read that God would say, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. I will not give my glory to another. The fact is, and I've shared this with you before, if you want a big picture of the battle that began 
with the fall of man and the entrance of sin into our world that will finally close when the devil and hell are cast into the lake of fire. The big battle that's been going on is between idolatry and biblical worship of the Lord. And that idol, whether it's something carved and a statue, or whether it's food, or whether it's, it's um, a, a member of the opposite sex, God will not give his glory. He has no intent of giving his glory to that thing that we would present ourselves to it in order to get from it what we think we need. He will not give his glory to another. And this is the expectation. This is the truth that should empower us to live on gospel mission. That it is for his glory. And this is what he is about. Now, when we're told here that he is able to strengthen us, he uses the same term that he used back at the opening end of the letter in 116. That he has the... the he will empower us with that dynamis. The term that we get the word dynamite from. The, the physical, raw, physical power to change something. Recall it from Romans 1, 15 through 16, where he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For, explaining why he's not ashamed, it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And here we say, see him closing us out again, sending us off, reminding us, comforting us, empowering us with the truth that he empowers us with that dynamite strength to be on gospel mission. So I want to challenge you, first of all, be empowered by knowing the gospel. That's what these last two and a quarter years have been about. Be empowered by knowing the gospel. But, but first, in its most basic sense, as we've talked about, the gospel itself, the term gospel itself means good news. And, and so if we take it and hide it and not share it, we don't understand it in the first place. It's not just good news for us. It's good news that by its very definition is to be shared. It's the, it describes both the nature and the responsibility that comes with it. Think of this. We're printing some, some invitation forms that, that over the next couple of weeks, you would be able to share that invitation with neighbors, with with, with colleagues, with, with friends, with family, inviting the unchurched to come and, and to Good Friday, to Easter morning, to, to the weeks following that. Now, if we print those and say, we printed the darn thing in advance, and they sat there, how, to what degree are they still invitations? Because the purpose of them is to gospel is. In its very definition, it is to be distributed. Not just from this pulpit, but in our lives. In answers. 
to the question, what makes you different? In answer to the question, what makes you tick? In answer to the question, what's your story? It, it is the gospel that we celebrate in communion this morning. Someone was broken for me. Someone had their blood poured out for me. But not just anybody. I mean, in, our, in, in World War II alone, think of how many people's blood were poured out for you. Think about how many people's blood was poured out for the world. And not to take anything away from that, but they were everyday people. And so it had no saving effect other than what was going on in that small moment. But you pour out the blood and you break the willing body of the eternal God. And it has an eternal impact. You separate for the purpose of salvation. You separate God the Son from God the Father. And it has an eternal effect. It has a powerful effect. And it should affect our conversation. It should affect our answers to those questions. I also want you to be empowered by God to share the gospel. How, let's, let's see the truths that are shared here. And as we part from Romans, what is summarized here to, to, to I mean, how do you encapsulate the dynamite power of the gospel that not just has been given to us, but we are told you are strengthened by to be on gospel mission. He says this is in accordance with the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Now understand that understand something about this it being a revelation of the mystery that had been kept secret many places in the New Testament you're probably familiar with a lot of them a gospel truth is described as having been a mystery I mean God took thousands of years to live out the gospel and the futility of trying to have a relationship with him based on our good deeds to live this out with mankind and it developed as a mystery that would, that would finally come to light and be, be come to an understanding in the death and the resurrection of his son. And now what's interesting about this, I, I found this interesting, is according to the revelation of the mystery, this term here for revelation is the term that we're familiar with. It's apocalypsis, which we know of talking about the revelation of end times, right? The apocalypse apocalyptic literature and things like that. We look forward or we look ahead to, I don't look forward to those things, but we look ahead to those things that are revelation. The, the last book of the Bible is described that. It's not revelations, it's revelations of the apocalypsis. But here is talked about the apocalypsis, the revelation of that mystery of Jesus in ages past. So, so think of it this way. The way that end times are kind of mysterious to us now, but in the future there will be no mystery about them. In the same way, 
The, the past revelations of Jesus were a mystery to them, but they aren't now. They aren't mysterious now. Now that he has fulfilled them. This is talked about in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, of those who wrote about Jesus' coming. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know the person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things in which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And you love the closing statement, things into which angels long to look. It was like a closed book that was, that was compiling and compiling. What is this? And angels long to look into this. But in the coming and the death and the resurrection of Christ, it all came about. It all came to fruition. It all came to understand. And so these, these were, un, the prophetic writings are now made known and they are now disclosed in the same way that maybe you might have a game at home that, that, that uh, you look at a card and it's just a bunch of red lines. It's just a bunch of red dots and blotches. But if you get out this red filter and you put it over it, and then you can see the message that's behind all those little red dots. Because you look through it through this filter that allows all the red to go away. And, and, and just the lettering behind it shows through. And in the same way, we're told that this mystery from the past, through these prophetic writings, is disclosed through looking through Jesus in understanding the Old Testament. Jesus taught that the Old Testament pointed to him and helped him, his disciples to see this. <clears throat> in Luke 24, it says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And all things which are written about me in the law and of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. And the Holy Spirit does that for us when we look at the Old Testament writings through the filter of Jesus and God's purpose for the gospel. And here we find some good, empowering ideas in the statements about the gospel. To be empowered by God by knowing first that the gospel is for all people. The gospel it's for all people. Now, much of Romans addressed this, talking about Jews and Gentiles, as we talked about the, um, the, the privilege of being the people of God, making up of both Jews and Jews, making, being made up of both Gentiles, <clears throat> male and female, slave and free person. <clears throat> but the following phrases <clears throat> clarifies the imperative nature of the fact that it is for all. The gospel is available to all nations by God's command to take it to them. Okay? This isn't like, oh, this is so good to know it's for all people. No. Be, we should be empowered by God knowing 
that sharing the gospel is a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience to him. The, the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ is it according to the command of the eternal God. This is referring to the great commission that we have been given. Best summed it up in Matthew 28 where we told, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Imagine a soldier receiving orders and his commanding officer coming back and finding him sitting in the same place. I mean, Jesus told lots of parables about rulers, about kings, about, about uh, bosses. They give orders, go away, and come back. And, and find those orders carried out in many different ways. And this looks kind of like in our world, as I said, a soldier being given orders and his commanding officer comes back and he finds that soldier sitting there doing the very same thing, peeling potatoes or whatever, that he was doing prior to being given the orders. Imagine if that soldier said, I want to tell you, those orders were so well written. I mean, they inspired me to my soul. But didn't do anything with it. Imagine him saying, they were so convicting. I mean, I am definitely here, and I should definitely be over there doing that. Good job with those orders. What if you were to say, I'm studying them. I'm studying them to see the deeper meaning behind them. He said, I'm going I'm to show you the deeper meaning with my foot. <laughs> Any of those responses would probably get him thrown in the brig or something. I don't know. But we have been given the order of sharing the gospel with others and making disciples of young men and women. We've been given the order of both to be discipled by others and to be disciple makers. That's what the gospel is. And that truth, that command is intended to empower us, to light a fire under us, to be about it. It's why God's put you in the neighborhood he has. It's why God's given you the family he has. It's why God has you in the school he has. It's why God has you at the job that he has. You understand? Everything he does in your life to put, is to put you in a, the place to have a part of what he's doing on this earth embodied in the gospel of what it means to, to help another person to realize that their sins were placed on Christ. And that in taking their sins to the grave and rising from the dead, but leaving them buried, that he is able to, and he is offering his righteousness to us. And that righteousness sits there, available for us to walk in. 
we don't even have to ask the question how many people that that would change in their lives. We can know in faith that it would change everything about their life. I, we should be empowered also by God by knowing that sharing the gospel, it's a call for repentance. He talks about the, his, the gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ. To bring about the obedience of faith is the purpose of it. In, back in Romans 1.5, as Paul talked about his being sent by Jesus, he said, through whom, speaking of Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. He said this also in Romans 15.18, as he talked about his confidence in his calling. Paul says, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Now, this doesn't mean making a legalist out of someone. It doesn't mean making someone who obeys all the rules. The obedience of faith, yes, it should, as we saw in Romans 6 and Romans 8, it should bleed into our lives for sure, but it begins with a repentance an obedience to the fact that I cannot save myself. I need Christ's righteousness on my part. And by that, I am saved. That is an obedience of faith. No one is saved by works, but by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit leads us to obey the gospel, and the gospel calls us to repent and turn to God for salvation. This is an obedience of faith. And this whole big idea of being empowered by God to share the gospel makes me think of relighting candles. You know, those candles that maybe somebody sneaks onto your birthday cake and, and kids are still amazed by them and stuff. But you blow them out and they just keep coming back on. And you blow them out and you just keep coming them back on. What if... You think they ever tried to sell won't ever light candles? I mean, just sit there, light it, won't come on, won't come on, won't come on. I mean, maybe some husbands have made the mistake of trying to pull that on his wife once, once. <laughs> but what would be the purpose? Because the very purpose of the very purpose of a candle, it's not doing. You wouldn't waste the energy on them. You wouldn't put them back in the drawer. Oh, we'll have to. So pull those out for the next birthday. <clears throat> if you had a flashlight that just wouldn't come on, would you put batteries in it? Understand something. We have been empowered. We've been given the power. We've been lit. We've had the batteries put in us for the purpose of shining, for the purpose of giving light to others. You know, it can be as simple as, like I said, you want to know what makes me different? You don't want to know what's most important to me? You don't want to know just what changed my life? It was Jesus. It was, it was coming to Christ. 
in relationship with God, come into a relationship with God through Christ, however you want to say it. It can be as simple as that and then let them watch you. I've shared with you before the gospel acronym. I mean, there are times when I have a chance to share the gospel with somebody and I, as a pastor, volunteering, I'm running through the gospel acronym in my mind. Jesus, God created us to live with him. O, our sin separated us from God. F, sin cannot be taken away by good deeds. T, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. E, eternal life is available for everyone. And come to those who receive Christ as their Savior. L, life that's eternal begins now. And it lasts forever. It's as simple as that. I want you to realize something. The devil doesn't have to do anything. As long as he has us doing nothing. Do you realize that? The devil doesn't have to do anything as long as he has us doing nothing with the gospel. Because this world will just keep on keeping on in the direction it's going. And that biggest battle of all between idolatry and biblical worship of God, it will just keep building idolatry. He doesn't have to do anything as long as he's got us doing nothing with the gospel. I love the closing of Romans in verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. I, as I preach God's word, I am constantly amazed. Even as I explain it, even as I preach it, in conclusion, you see me amazed by God's wisdom, by by what God has designed, by what God has created in a gospel relationship with him, that we could walk in Christ, that we could walk in righteousness, that we could have access to him and walk in relationship with him, in a gospel relationship with him. And to him, in his wisdom, is the glory to be. As one writer says, God's wisdom is seen in Christ himself, in whom are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Above all, in his cross, which through foolish human beings, though foolish to human beings, is the wisdom of God. God's decision to save the world, not through his own wisdom, but through the folly of the gospel. You know, this is what we will proclaim with with higher created beings than us for eternity. And it's said in Revelation 7, 12, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And as Stott says, God's redeemed people will spend eternity ascribing to him praise and glory and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength. That is, they will worship, we will worship him for his power and wisdom displayed in salvation. 
I, I watched um, Darkest Hour last night. If you rent any DVD this year, that one, I would recommend. Edward R. Murrow said of Churchill, he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. With his speeches, he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. And understand this as we close. The gospel mobilizes every language. It mobilizes every relationship. It mobilizes every opportunity that we speak to do battle on the deepest level. And we've been empowered for it. We're just left with the choice to do it. Let's bow our heads. Father God, all wisdom and honor and glory belong to you. Lord, you have mobilized the truth. The greatest truth of all in the gospel. You have sent us out to do it. And I pray, Lord God, that you give us opportunity and strength. I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to see the opportunity that we have before us. And we, that we would just take a big breath and just dive in. That we'd be willing to sacrifice those relationships on your altar in worship. Work out in each one of us, Father, where you want us to move forward as you've already empowered us in sharing the gospel. And I pray all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have noticed from the